0: Amen. The world may be in turmoil, chaos, and on its way to hell. We have a savior, Christ the Lord. Appreciate all the specials. Appreciate Andrew putting all that together and for us to enjoy tonight. So if you would, just want to look at one verse tonight. Of course, I'm looking at others, but just going to read one verse to start off. I've preached this before, but to me, it's such a blessing. I hope it is to you. Uh, it ought to encourage us and strengthen us, uh, as well as challenge us as we consider our Savior. John 3:16. You know, probably they say if you want the gospel in an, in, a, in a verse, that's what you would what you would uh, go for is, is John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want you to draw your attention to two words particularly in that verse. Only begotten Son. Only begotten. The the the. The words only begotten mean single of its kind. It's used nine times. The Greek word is used nine times in the New Testament. Six times it's translated only begotten. Two times only. And one time only child." So, obviously what we're seeing here is something single of its kind. Solitary in type. I'm told that the French translated this unique. Unique. The the word unique would mean existing as the only one, having no equal, unparalleled. You know, the 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 reality is there is none like him. None. We could look at talk all night about founders of religions around the world. Gandhi, where's he? Dead. Atama Buddha, where's he? Dead. Muhammad, where's he? Dead. He's just dead. Joseph Smith, where's he? Dead. But if we say Jesus Christ, where's he? He's alive. He's alive. You see, he is unique, very unique. And we'll look at five things tonight in that he is unique. First of all, he was unique in his birth. Of course, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 7:14, over 700 years before he was actually born, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah six nine six says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The child was born, but the son was not born. The son was given. It's unique. 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, Great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. I mean, there was no birth like His. It was very unique that a virgin could give birth We say that's humanly impossible, and that's what Mary said to the angel, which told her that she was going to have a child. She said, "You know, how can that be? Seeing I know not a man." The angel said, "With men, that's impossible. With God, all things are possible." His birth is very unique. At his birth, or soon after his birth, as we we learned Sunday, sometimes after his birth, or you know, surrounding that time, or a few months later, maybe up to a year. Your know, wise men came to see him and worshipped him, gave him gifts—gifts gifts for a king, gifts for a priest, gifts for burial. What an unusual, unusual gifts for a baby! It's unique. So he was unique in his birth. He was unique in his life. Um. Uh, you know, in his life, you know, he, we don't know much about his young life as a young child, but of course the wise men worshipped him as a young child, as a baby, or, newborn, or you know, maybe a few months old or uh, up to two years old. They worshipped him. Uh, but throughout his life, he did things that were different than anyone else. Uh, you know, he, he was at 12 years old, he was. He stayed behind with his, his family went to worship and he stayed behind and, and they went a few days' journey and missed him and and, and they went looking for him and they found him amongst the doctors of the law, carrying on a conversation and having discussions with them about the scriptures. And they were amazed. And they questioned him, his mother questioned him about it. He said, Must you know you know I must be about my father's business? Can you imagine a 12-year-old saying, yeah, I must be back my father's business. Of course, throughout his life, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. They tried to kill him, and, they, and he would just walk through the midst. He lived a perfect life. He said to his enemies, the Pharisees, in John 7, Which of you convinces me of sin? Actually, that's in John 8. In John 7, the Pharisees sent the temple police to arrest him, and they didn't arrest him, and they, and they asked him, Why are you bringing him? And they said, Never a man spake like this man. One writer said this, You know, He is most unusual. He never corrected himself. Yet he was not arrogant. He was meek and mild. Jesus Christ did not have any strong points. In order to have strong points, you have to have weak points. He had no strong points or weak points. He was the most perfectly balanced individual who ever lived. You know, often we justify our weak points by our strong points. I don't know about you, but I do tend to. I shouldn't. But that's what we tend to do. We'd rather talk about our strong points. We don't want to talk about our weak points. We all got them. But Jesus Christ didn't have any weak points. But you could say that he didn't have any strong points either. Because to have weak points, you they to have strong ones. Robert Clark said this, "Quote. There was meekness without weakness, tenderness without feebleness, firmness without coarseness, love without sentimentality, holiness without sanctimoniousness, lowliness without lowness, Truth without error, enthusiasm without fanaticism, passion without prejudice, heavenly mindedness without forgetfulness, carefreeness without carelessness, service without servility, self-exaltation without egotism, judgment without harshness, and seriousness without somberness, and mercy without softness, unquote. You know, think about it, self-exaltation without egotism, egotism, You know, he would say, I and my Father are one. And now, to most people, that would be bragging. People, the disciples, that, you know, he was going to be killed, but the third day, he's going to rise again. Now, if somebody told you that, what would you say to them? But there was no egotism with him. You see, he was most unique in his life. You know, as a child, uh, you know, he never disobeyed. Could 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 your children ever say? Uh, could you children ever say? Or all of us ever say as children, we never disobeyed. Or you husbands say to your wife, "Come on." Tell me sometime I was unkind to you or wife say to the husband, challenge them to, to, to clarify that sometime you didn't didn't treat me right. no I wouldn't go there I wouldn't ask my wife that question why? but see Jesus say, whence of you convinceth me of sin He he was saying that to his friends he was saying it to his enemies to his enemies. He was most unique in his life. He was without sin. In him is no sin, John three tells us. First John three tells us. Thirdly, he was unique in his death. He was unique in his death. You know, of course, John three sixteen tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But John ten seventeen and eighteen, Jesus spoke of his death. And, and he said this, John ten seventeen eighteen. 18, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. So again, here's self-exaltation. Without egotism, he was speaking the truth. I'm going to lay my life down, and I'm going to take it again. No man taketh it from me. I mean, he had all the religious leaders wanting to kill him, and he said, no man is going to take my life from me. And he gave evidence that that was true, because on various occasions they they they, they set to kill him. Luke four, they, they 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 carried him headlong toward the cliff to throw him over the cliff at Nazareth, because they were so mad. At him. And all of a sudden, he just walked through the mist and passed by. Well, he said, "No man, take it from me, but I lay it down of myself." See, he wasn't martyred. You know, a martyr is somebody that has his life taken from him. He was not martyred. He gave it. He gave it. He said, I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received on my father. He laid down his life. He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He could have, as he told Pilate, I you know, do you not know I could call twelve legions of angels? All I need to do is say the word. Give the command. He could say to the dying thief, today. Thou shalt be with me in paradise. And of course this was spoken in public that the onlookers watching could hear it. John said it, John heard it and he recorded it for us. As well as the other Gospels. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. There was an earthquake. At his death, there were graves that opened. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. I'm telling you, this, his death was very unique. Nothing like it ever happened before. And the centurion said, Mark 15, 39, truly, this was the Son of God. But you know, you think about that, his death. This this death would have brought, if you have put yourself in those who followed him at that time, this death would have brought gloom, discouragement, oppression. You know, Peter denied him, now he's gone. If he's gone, you can't, if he's dead, the ability to seek forgiveness is gone. It kind of reminds me of when the Battle of Waterloo, the English were waiting for news from Wellington. Concerning the battle with Napoleon, they knew there was a very serious battle about to happen, and it came through a series of lights from ships back to England. And and so it was they were they were transferring these series of lights and and and, and they they the message it got was Wellington defeated, and then the fog set in. And for two or three hours it went across England that Wellington was defeated! And so there was this gloom and discouragement. When the fog lifted, they got the rest of the message. Wellington defeated Napoleon. And see, our Lord Jesus Christ defeated death. He is unique in his resurrection. He's unique in his resurrection. You know, he even foretold his resurrection. Again, what we see here is self exaltation without egotism he wasn't bragging he was stating the truth in Matthew 1240 he says as Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale so the son of man shall be three days three days and three nights in the earth in Matthew twenty and verse nineteen speaking I believe to his disciples he said this and And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. So he, he, he told them, he, he, he spoke prophetically in in a sense that, that yes, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be scourged and crucified and put in a grave, but three days I'm going to, I'm going to come out of that grave. I'm going to resurrect. Of course, it was announced by the angel when the uh, two women went to to uh, anoint his body. It was announced by the angel. He was seen for forty days after his resurrection. Acts chapter one verse three tells us that he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Or is it, it's not liable to err. And the most wonderful thing about all this is, because He rose from the dead, for those of us who know Him as Lord and Savior, that assures us of our resurrection as well. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality, so when this corruptible shall put on him corruption, this mortal shall put on him mortality, then shall be brought to pass a saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he was unique in his resurrection and it assures us of our resurrection and a glorified body. Uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in verse 20, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vow body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. You see, He was unique. Because he resurrected. You know again all these ancient religions and their finders they're still dead. They're still dead. Gandhi. Buddha. Muhammad. They're still dead. But our Savior is living. He's living. He's, in fact, the Bible tells us he's, he's interceding for us in heaven. And He lives in our hearts by His Holy Spirit. He is the life, our life, that we have. He is unique, very unique. Resurrection. But not only that, He's unique, unique, unique in His relationship to us. Ephesians 1 Verse 6 says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. We've been accepted. Those of us who have repented of our sins, put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, have been accepted into the Beloved, or into the Beloved One, into the family of God. We've been made a child of God. You know, Colossians tells us that we've been uh, translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. So He has made us accepted. This this speaks of a family relationship. Not just an acquaintance. You know, there's many people in the world that are acquainted with Jesus. They know who He is. They know things about Him. I remember talking to a milk truck driver one time at the farm, and I was still looking for him. And he said, well, I I do know that Jesus is coming again. But that's about all he knew. He didn't know him as his Lord and Savior. He didn't have assurance that he was accepted into the family of God. That he was a child of God. He was acquainted. That's about as far as it went. Many people were acquainted. But this speaks of a family relationship. John 15, he told his disciples, you are my friends. But in John 20, in verse 17, he tells Mary Magdalene, Jesus saith unto earth, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. He said, Go tell my brother. See, that's a that's a that's a family term. It's not a friend term. It's a family term, brethren. And then he says, He's my Father and He's your Father. See, you're in the family. You know, Christ the Savior, you're in the family. You're one in the family. He is the only begotten Son, but we who know Him as our Lord and Savior are also sons and daughters of God. In fact, 2 Corinthians 6 tells us that. We're sons and daughters of the Almighty. We're not just servants. We're not just friends. We are brethren. He is the firstborn. He's the head. You know, Colossians tells us in Colossians chapter 1 and again you know he is unique in this and and you know there, there are those teaching today um, I think his name was Larry Hutch Larry Hutch and what's that woman TV evangelist can't remember her name anyway I watched a video clip here a year or so ago and and they were they were um, Talking about the, the relationship that Christians have with God, and they said that Jesus isn't the only begotten Son of God. We are all the sons of God. That's Harris. We're sons of God, but we are not the only begotten Son of God. What they were saying is they were making themselves equal, on equal footing with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's self-exaltation. That's idol worship. Colossians 1, verse 15 says, "...who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and things that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, or all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist." But again, he is, the, he is the firstborn. Verse 18 says, He's the head of the body, of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. You see, firstborn and only begotten speaks of uniqueness. Firstborn speaks of a superior rank. It speaks of priesthood. It speaks of the leader, you might say, you know, when, when, a, when a person in a family relationship like, when Jacob got the birthright, you know what he got with that? The place of priesthood in the family. In other words, he was the spirit, he became the spiritual head of the family. He was to be the spiritual head of Isaac's family once Isaac passed off. And that's what the birthright, see, cause he, that usually is passed to the firstborn. And we know Esau was the firstborn. Esau, he, you know, he, he sold it for a bowl of lentils. So he could care less about that birthright. He wanted a blessing, but he didn't want that birthright. He didn't care if he was the spiritual head of the family or not. You see, he's unique. He is the firstborn. He's the spiritual head. He's the elder brother, if you will. It speaks again of a rank all by himself, and he speaks of spiritual headship, and he is the head of the body, the church. First Corinthians, Colossians one eighteen tells us. So, yes, there is. There is this uniqueness in our relationship. We are the sons of God. Sons of God. Daughters of God. First John 3, verse 1 through 3. Beloved now, are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, beloved. Now are we sons of God? We shall see him like he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Uh, Peter tells us in First Peter chapter two and verse nine that we, First <clears throat> Peter two and verse nine, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people you show forth the praise of Him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous night uh, light, uh, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not attained mercy, but now hath obtained mercy. You see, we have this unique relationship that is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. We're sons and daughters. In John 10, verses 27 to 42, I want to read this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, Say, For a good week work we stone thee not, but for blaspheme, because if thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, Ye are gods? If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father has sanctified and sent unto the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me, not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. And went away again beyond Jordan into place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And I want you to notice this verse. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him. And I would submit to you tonight that everything the Word of God, the prophets have foretold, and the Word of God says about this unique man is. Somebody said to Bob Jones Sr., you're living in a dream world. He said, if I am, don't wake me up. Don't wake me up. It's not a dream. These are facts. Facts that have been contested for thousands of years. But we still have them. You know what they're still trying to do? They're still trying to contest them. They're still trying to discredit them. Our nation's trying to discredit him. That's the bottom line all this mess that's going on in our world. They're trying to discredit him. They're just saying, like the Pharisees, we will not have this man to rule over us. But if you've come to know him and have a good relationship with him, you, like me, would say, I will gladly have this man rule over me. For his burden is easy, and it is life. Well, oh, we have a wonderful... savior and lord and yes he is unique and because of that what we have is unique what we have is unique you know they say that you many have willingly just like him of course have, have had their lives taken they've been martyred because we're not supposed to lay our lives down we are to flee if somebody tries to persecute us. But there have been many who have willingly given their lives—not only died for it, but gave their lives in service. Were used up willingly, you know. And they—and and people talk about, you know, the suicide bombers and that sort of thing. And well, I, I think it was, um, uh, uh, Kyle. What's his name? The uh, sharpshooter. Chris Kyle, in his book, he said, "Don't let them they don't do that willingly. they're all doped up so they can't think because they're afraid to die. I remember a missionary telling us one time we live in Maine, Joe Brennan, I think his name was." <clears throat> He was a missionary down on the Amazon River in Brazil. Lived in a hut, like, I don't know, much of a house. Anyway, on the bank of the river. He said, one day he heard this boat coming up the river. And he knew it wasn't a villager. He knew it was the government. Because of the roar of the engine. And he said it come roaring up the river, pulled right up in front of his house, and and soldiers with... Like uh, ARs or AK 47s, you know, automatic weapons, jumped off. And he said, I was standing on the porch and they jumped off of that boat and they had them pointed at me. And he said, I thought, okay, Lord, I'm coming home. He said, that instant I realized it was easier to die for the Lord than to live for Him. But you know we need to be willing to live for him he wants us to live for him by living for him we die to self you know, that self is unique the world's seeking for the great American dream what are you seeking